With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the fall! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked the young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Marinaro on this Monday, February 13. How's everyone doing today? Let me just uh, get the laptop out of the way here. How do you like my uh, fluorescent pink hoodie tonight, huh? A little different. Ordered this one a couple of days ago. Got him just trying to fix the... Uh, the I don't know. It looks a little bit looks a little bit different here. What am I doing here? Hold on. Let me see. Let me see this. All right. Okay. It doesn't matter. Anyway, it looks better. Nice color though, eh? Nice color. How's everyone doing tonight? I'm uh, I'm in a good mood today, and I'm in a good mood tonight. And that usually makes for a pretty good shows. So I hope it will be, because um, we saw what I thought was um, just an amazing Super Bowl uh, yesterday, and um, you know you follow the entire national football league season and you're hoping for a great final game. And when you don't get it, it kind of leaves you like, like what did you just play the whole season for? Right. But it was, uh, I thought it was an amazing super bowl 38, 35. Everyone knows by now for the Kansas city chiefs. And uh, maybe I really liked it because uh, I made a few dollars on it. You know, it's funny. It's funny because um, I usually tell my friends that you have, if you want to put a dollar or two on a game, you have the entire football season to put a dollar or two, right? And when you get to the Super Bowl, it should be the two best teams. And obviously, anything can happen. And, uh, you know, you uh, you should probably just enjoy the game with family and friends. And the Super Bowl is an event, right? It's a big event. And it's, you know, you don't want to put yourself in a bad mood, right? But, you know, everyone gets together, usually fill out a square, pick up a or, – or, you know, end up picking a couple of squares and stuff like that, and everyone has fun. But for whatever reason, like about a minute before the game started, I just – I said to myself, Travis Kelsey is going to score a touchdown. Pacheco is going to score a touchdown. 
Pacheco is going to get a lot of yards. I thought the Chiefs were going to win a three or four point game, but that was too close for comfort. I was a little bit nervous about it and I stayed away from it. And uh, I just, I ended up going with those three and it worked out. So that's pretty good. Eric Engels of Sportsnet at Sportsnet.ca is a, a regular contributor every Monday night when the Canadians don't play and they're not playing tonight. So he's going to join us in just a couple of minutes. The sick podcast brought to you in part by La Bit at TB. Oh, there you have it. Look at this one. La Bit at TB brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bit at TB offers quality microbrewery beers with uh, premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bit at TB embrace your true nature. Also brought to you in part by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu is going to surprise you and also brought to you in part by energy transportation group if you ship commercial freight and want to impress your boss with how much money you can save get in touch with the logistics professionals at energy transportation group uh, mike chinquino sean gerard those are my boys email them at sick at shipenergy.com or visit their website at shipenergy.com com. It's going to be a, a very interesting couple of days here, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, this is going to be one of the biggest weeks in um, wrestling history, and Montreal is known uh, for its wrestling history. We're going to get to the Montreal Canadiens in just a second, okay? Eric Engels will join us in three or four minutes, and when he does, we have a lot to talk about because, of course, the Canadians beat the Islanders on the weekend 4-3 in overtime on Saturday night and just hammered the Edmonton Orders and Connor McDavid yesterday by a score of 6-2 to two in what were two matinee games starting at 12.30, and the fans seem to really enjoy themselves at the Bell Centre over the past couple of days. But I want to get back to... Once again, this is going to be one of the greatest weeks um, when it comes to professional wrestling in in Montreal ever, okay? Uh, there's going to be some pretty big events. It's going to be basically a very heavy wrestling week. On um, Thursday, several WWE wrestlers um, will um, will be accessible in downtown Montreal. We'll have the info for you a little bit later and you can go by and you can see some of your favorite wrestlers. On Thursday night, there's an event. It's the Undertaker's uh, One Dead Man Show. There you have it. Uh, at the Olympia Theater at 7.30 p.m. Now, um, there's not going to be a lot of tickets for this event. You can get them, obviously, and buy them. Um, but what we're going to do is we've already started the contest. We are going to draw two winners who are going to win a pair of tickets each to be able to spend an hour or an hour and a half or whatever it is in the company of The Undertaker. That's going to be on Thursday night at the Olympia Theater. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um I know a lot of people watching and I know a lot of people who will be listening who are huge fans of The Undertaker. Some believe he has the greatest entrance in all of sport ever. And you know what? You can you can have that debate. On Friday, it's going to be WWE SmackDown at the Bell Center. And on Saturday night, it's going to be WWE's Elimination chamber which is going to be a pay-per-view event 
And uh, this event, Elimination Chamber, was sold out in a hurry. Uh, I got to tell you that I usually wait before I get my WWE tickets. And uh, I think I waited too long on Elimination Chamber because they were they were gone and they were gone fast. Where Montreal's very own Sami Zayn, who joined me on the Sick Podcast last week, is going to be in the main event going up against Roman Reigns for the last pay-per-view event and for the belt right before WrestleMania, which will take place in the month of April. Isn't that cool? So once again, I don't know if there's ever been a bigger week when it comes to wrestling in the city of Montreal. This week is going to be pretty hard <clears throat> to beat. Thank you very much. Uh, Agnello and Sammy, before we get to Eric Engels, who I think is going to join us now, uh, we have Eric. But before we get to Eric, Agnello and Sammy, is there any way I can get to you? Any way we can put them on? Agnello and Sammy going once, going twice. There they are. How are you? Good, you? Very good. I took you a little bit by surprise, eh? You always do. You weren't expecting to come on, right? No, not at all. All right, okay. Uh, I just want to mention that uh, the contest to win the two pairs of tickets yep. for The Undertaker's One Dead Man Show Thursday night at the Olympia Theater, yep. the contest is going to run a couple of days, right? So we'll we, uh, we came out with it on social media hours ago. Yep. And then we're going to announce the winner on Thursday night. No, Thursday Wednesday night. night. Sorry, Wednesday night. Sorry, Wednesday night. Sorry, Wednesday night. Best. I put him on for a minute, and he just already. Wednesday once, night. Sorry, Wednesday night. You don't have to be sorry. I'm just playing with you. You know that. Okay, so Wednesday night, when we go live again at 10 p.m. So the contest is going to end Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Okay, because Wednesday night during the show, we are going to name the two winners. And at that point, I'm going to contact the WWE. And on Thursday, the winners will be emailed their tickets. That's the way it's going to work, okay? So what do you have to do? Well, if you take a look on Twitter, we put it out there on Twitter. And all we did was ask you to follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero and retweet the uh, the contest with uh, with the, basically the brochure that we brought up before. And uh, that's what we're asking on Twitter. On Facebook... Uh, and is it on Instagram as well in yellow? It's not on Instagram. No, no Instagram. No Instagram? Okay. Maybe we could put on Instagram tomorrow. Why not? Might as well get it on as, as many social media channels as possible. Yep. Sammy, we can do that tomorrow? Yeah. Yep. You're a good man. So on Facebook right now and starting on Instagram tomorrow, what you have to do is basically you have to uh, tag three friends, all right, and like the post, and at that point, you're going to be in the contest. And once again... We're going to, on Wednesday night, we're going to announce the winner or the winners, pardon me, uh, of two pairs of tickets to the uh, Undertaker's One man, one Dead Man show. And uh, and that's it. Uh, not to mention, not to mention that if all goes well, okay, we're also going to give uh, a couple of pairs of tickets away to WWE SmackDown event on Friday night. All right. So we're collabing with the WWE and we're pretty proud of that. All right. Agnello, Sammy, great job. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, there you have it. Let's bring in Eric Engels. Talk Haps. What's going on? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Very good. I'm, uh, you know, I don't want to keep on saying the same thing, but when the Canadians win their games, I mean, I just, uh, yeah. 
I know you that this whole thing came out about you can't establish a losing culture and all that stuff. But I mean, I just I have a feeling as much as, you know, there were 20,000 strong on Saturday and 20,000 strong on Sunday and they cheered every goal and they cheered both wins. I just have a feeling that if they keep on going like this, they're going to be in no man's land uh, at the end of the year. Okay. Do you think they're going to keep going like this? No. Let me, let me, let's, let's, uh, I think there's a lot of people in Montreal that feel the same way you do right now. I would suggest that the wins that occurred on Saturday and Sunday, if they just win, whatever. The way they won is really healthy for what they're trying to build because while everybody thinks that this year is all about development and when they think of development, they think about individual players, it's also about the development of culture and style of play and identity. And I really felt that the two wins that they had this weekend advanced those causes. Um, You want to build a style of play that is consistent no matter who's in your lineup. And you want to build an identity and a culture that is unique to your team and your organization so that anybody that comes into your organization or comes up from the lower part of your organization understands exactly what Montreal Canadiens hockey is. And I think the way they played those games and the way they were so adhering to what Marty St. Louis is trying to get them to do from a tactical standpoint really helps in that aim. So if you're out there and you're concerned about the wins piling up instead of the losses with Connor Bedard in the offing and a lot of really good prospects if you don't get Connor Bedard, well, then all you have to do is look at their schedule because after this week, and this week is not going to be a cakewalk, let's face it, they've got Chicago in tomorrow, which is okay. Chicago's a team below them in the standings. Chicago's terrible. But then it's Carolina, and then it's Toronto. And then it's New Jersey, and then it's Philadelphia, and then it's off to the West Coast to play San Jose, Anaheim, L.A., and Vegas. Uh, And there's Florida and Tampa, and the Canadians have 16 games in 31 days in March. They're not going to be winning all that frequently, I don't think. You wouldn't wouldn't think so, but, I mean, with that logic, they weren't supposed to be at Edmonton yesterday either. Well, look at Edmonton, right? Like, they had two and a half to three weeks of really strong play. Uh, I think it was their first regulation loss in I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you really break it down, like it's a game at 9.30 in the morning for them, like, uh, or 10.30 in the morning based on, you know, mountain time. Like a bit of a tough turnaround for them on a back-to-back in the East Coast. Like I just, if I was an Edmonton fan, I would throw that game in the garbage and just say it didn't really matter. Um, mm-hmm. Canadians played well, deserve what they got. Edmonton played poorly, deserve what they got. I think that's yeah. what Jay Woodcroft said. And yeah, like no, no big deal. But look, like take a look at the Hab schedule. It's it's going to be pretty tough from here to the end of the season to collect wins at yeah. any type of rate, especially with what they've got and what will be here post deadline and what the injuries are long term for a lot of their players. Eric, look, I've heard what Kent Hughes has had to say. I've heard what uh, Jeff Gordon has had to say, and I've heard what Marty St. Louis had to say. And if they took part in this podcast right now with you and myself, I'm sure they would all agree with you. And I understand that maybe the Montreal Canadiens aren't going to pick up too many points, and I understand that maybe a lot of people think that where the Canadians are right now in the standings is probably where they're going to finish. And as bad as they are, they probably wouldn't finish below some of the teams below them. Having said that, look, I sign and I persist that let's just say the Montreal Canadiens would have lost this weekend. Then all of a sudden, the Montreal Canadiens have less points 
than 27th spot Vancouver and less points than 28th spot San Jose. And then all of a sudden, the Montreal Canadiens, they themselves find themselves in the 28th spot, which is good enough for fifth worst in the National Hockey League, which gives them a much better chance than being eighth worst in the National Hockey League. But your point is taken. You know, I know where you stand. You know where I stand. So why don't we, even though I'm the one who brought it up, why don't we just move on some of the positives. But before we do like you, they can't like lose on purpose like it's you you're never going to convince players to go out on the ice and purposely throw a game like it's just i never said they would i never no, no, said I'm they saying, would. like i don't know how else you generate it at the end of the day things like go back to the beginning of the season when everybody was concerned about what yeah. the canadians bring it leveled off you know like how they would ended i generate up in a place where they were bottom what's that how would i generate it well, I wouldn't play Nick Suzuki 23 minutes and 29 seconds on Saturday. <laughs> Don't play Nick Suzuki 23-29. Play Nick Suzuki 17. You're going to see the way you're going to lose. Yeah, but okay. But how do you keep things healthy within your team if you're the head coach who's making moves to essentially tank the team? Like, I don't... Well, hold on, hold on a second. Hold it just doesn't make sense. If, no, it, do, it does make sense. If Marty St. Louis plays Nick Suzuki 17 and a half minutes instead of playing 23 and a half minutes, are people going to say, what is he doing? I mean, isn't 17 and a half minutes good for Nick Suzuki? Or Are, pe- are people going to? No. Is Nick Suzuki going to? Yes. Is it going to make Nick Suzuki a better player? No. Is that good for what's going to happen moving forward? It, it might you know, make like, Nick Suzuki a better player because if he plays less, he'll be more efficient. Look, let's put it this way. You need premium talent to win. There's no question about it. 100%. Okay? Yeah. And the only way to get it is to end up near the bottom of the standings to give yourself a good chance. Maybe not necessarily the best one like the Canadians had last year because we've yeah. seen a lot of teams finish with the worst record. and the worst. It's not about one player, though. Like, if you are making moves that make your other players worse or certainly don't make them better just to get one player, then I don't think you're doing things the right way. But that is kind of the existential debate of this season and whatever is to come for the Canadians as they're building their team. There will be a lot of people who say it doesn't matter. A lot of these players won't be here or this or that. Like, But it does matter. It does matter to the guys that are there who have to go through it on a daily basis and the culture they're trying to build. And like, if you want to build one where the coach is making moves to lose games and the players get wind of that and start to accept it because, oh, at the end of that rainbow is a 21% chance to get Connor Bedard, um, then you deal with the potential fallout of you get Connor Bedard and never are able to put a team together and a proper culture together to win with him. So, I mean... It, it's, it will be an existential debate because some people feel the way you do and will never feel otherwise about it, or some people feel the way I do or the way Ken Hughes would or the way Jeff Gordon does, and they won't necessarily be proven right unless the Canadians get some good talent and, and are able to win with the culture they're establishing. All right. Um, got it. Uh, once again, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't want to go round and round, but I, I don't think... You know, if they knock off a few minutes off of Matheson and knock off a few minutes off of David Savard and knock off a few minutes off of Nick Suzuki and knock off a few minutes off of Josh Anderson, knock off a few minutes off of Kirby Doc and bump up a couple of minutes, everyone else, I don't think that looks like the coach wants to lose, but I get your point. Let's say they don't. 
let's not go in circles. Let's say they don't. Where are the Canadians going to finish between now and the so? There's 30 games left in the season, correct? Yep. How many of those games are they going to win? If you take a look, if you pull up their schedule right now, yes, and look at what they've got to go through, yep, and factor in the deadline and the injuries they already have and what might happen between now and the end of the season, you would. How think many they... of those thirty games do you think they'll win, and where will they finish in the standings? Even if they don't make any of the changes that you're, even if they keep playing Nick Suzuki twenty three minutes a game and Mike yeah. Kafka twenty five, logic would suggest if they win ten, it's a lot. Well, then they don't have to change anything. And what if they win six? Then you'll be a happy man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, four less wins at the end of the year. The culture is going to be absolutely terrible, and this team's not going like, to know how to win going you forward. You said it yourself. Know. They could lose. They could lose. You know, twenty-five of thirty of them, and. There are some teams that have already established such a lead in the race that they will not finish below them in the standings. You know, how much how much better will Chicago be from here to the end of the season? How much better will Anaheim or or uh, Columbus be from here to the end of the season? Not much better than the Habs, and the Habs aren't going to be very good. So know? there's like, 29 left because they played their 53rd, right? So yeah, that's 20, right. Sunday. Sorry, there's so 29, 29 left. left. All right. So, you know, let's... Um, I'll, I'll say at best they win 11 of them. They won 11. All right, okay. Here's what the good news is, though. Here's what the good news is, in my opinion. There are players, and some will say maybe it's too little, too late, yada, yada, yada. I've always said that I believed, or I think I've always said this, and if I didn't, well, then I think I've always said that I believed that the players who are in the final year of their contract will be dealt because the Canadians can get something, and if the other teams find that it's a lot of salary, mind you, they're only on the hook for the actual salary for about a month and a half, probably five, six weeks, whatever it is. Um, but if a team has to send the player back or whatever, but I believe that those players will be dealt and they won't just hold on to them and they'll be gone at the end of the season. Jonathan Drouin is one of those players. Uh, Genny Dadanov is another one of those players. Their contract's up at the end of the year. I'm not going to mention Hoffman because he's hurt, even though I just mentioned them. Uh, Mike, uh, pardon me, uh, Monahan, I mean. And Mike Hoffman has a year left on his contract after this year. But Jonathan Drouin picked up several assists on the weekend. Evgeny Dadonov picked up a couple assists on the weekend. Mike Hoffman picked up three assists on Saturday. Now, once again, I know Hoffman has an extra year. Uh, his contract isn't up at the end of this year. It's up at the end of next year. But you know what? If they keep playing offensive games and these guys keep up picking up points, you know, they're they're gonna get more than what they would have got about a month ago. Or those are positives. Just, may, I, I would suggest more would be something. Because I, I would disagree with you that they were going to get dealt no matter what. You know, there is just not a lot of money or even enough money in the system for teams to pick up these players at even half their salary if they're not going to be able to contribute something or if they're not going to be guys that you would rely on day mm -hmm. in day out like go look at, at the teams that have the potential to add between now and the trade deadline and there's very few of them that have the space to take on players and if they have the space it isn't at the bottom of the barrel that they're looking for they're looking for either guys that can really make an impact or guys that are a really good value proposition that are providing more than what they're actually being paid. 
and that would be the opposite for yeah. what we've seen for the most part from Jonathan Drouet and from Evgeny Dadanov and from Mike Hoffman. I'll tell you one thing, you know, if you don't think the Canadians, and I'm talking about management, are, aren't watching a guy like Mike Hoffman and putting him on the first unit of the power play every game, game in, game out, hoping mm-hmm. that he'll catch fire and score like six, seven goals in the next few weeks. I mean, you're deluded. Of course, they mm-hmm. would like to see those things happen so that there is value for those players that you're talking about and they could potentially make some trades out the door because their best chips right now are on the sidelines with injuries. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's too bad it's played out that way. You know, in Joel Edmondson's case, the Canadians are not in a rush to trade him. They have another year with him under contract. So if it doesn't get done between now and the deadline, they can still work that asset to the point if he's healthy next year Mm -hmm. where they get something back. Monaghan is a different story. We'll see if he can come back soon enough. We see him walking around the Bell Center uh, and he's been skating and hopefully he gets back to practice and gets back on the ice and plays, if not for the Canadian's sake, for his own, because obviously he's been through so much and has had to battle so much adversity. You'd like to see him continue his career, uh, you know, on a healthy contract moving forward at 28 years old. But man, like those players that you're talking about, I would have said to you two, three weeks ago, they're not getting anything from them. Like, mm-hmm. and, even, and that's with them retaining half their salary from here to the end of the season. So they have to keep showing well. They have to keep playing. I will say this between mm-hmm. now and the end of the season, or I should say really after the deadline, if they're still in Montreal and weren't able to be traded, they're not going to be playing above certain players in this lineup. There is there will be a shift that happens post deadline where yeah that of see, course yeah of course you're gonna see and and again they're gonna try and develop who they're gonna need going forward who the people course. that are the players that are gonna be in their plans even if it means that one or two or whoever ends up in the minors or out of the lineup like it's that's just the reality moving yeah. forward all right uh, here's another good news Kirby Doc's playing awesome at center man he's really good he's playing awesome. I really like the way he's playing. And ever since, uh, you know, the Canadians got into these injuries and then he came off of the line with Suzuki and Caulfield and they put him at center. And, uh, you know, and I know a lot of people worried about that because they said, okay, who's going to play the wing now and this and that, whatever. Then all of a sudden Harvey Pinard came in and he got up, he got a chance. and Anyway, we'll get to Harvey Pinard in just a second. But Kirby Doc at center is looking more and more comfortable with each shift. And... He's looking like a really, really strong centerman, like yeah. really good. Yeah, and I don't want to go in circles, Tony, but like there is something to him doing that, playing with multiple bumps and bruises and banged up. Like, yes, the bye week was probably most beneficial to a guy like him than just about anybody on the team. But this is that conversation we're having about culture, that he's hopping over the boards and playing as hard as he possibly can um, at a time where – yeah, you know, like you, you as a fan, you might mm-hmm. want to see the losses pile up. But what is where does that leave Kirby if he's not progressing to the level that he is and helping and trying to do everything he possibly can to help the Canadians win? This is something really healthy that's happening within the team right now that under a different kind of structure, under the coach making different types of moves to potentially lose games, you don't get. And mm-hmm. right now, what's happening with Kirby Doc? is one of the most important things within this organization because you're looking at a one-two punch up the middle that if you have that guy playing with the quality of wingers that him and Cole, that Doc and Cole Caulfield were able to provide to Suzuki, so you have two lines where all of a sudden you have quality wingers and those two guys up the middle, yeah. well, that rebuild is a lot shorter and you didn't necessarily need to get Connor Mc, 
bedard to to make that happen yeah you know? I, so, I i look you're never going to change my mind all right you never and i have a feeling i'm never going to change yours all right because you're telling me this and i'm going to come back and i'm going to tell you well if kirby doc plays two minutes less a game it's not the end of the world and if the canadians end up drafting either connor bedard because they end up having more losses or michkov for example michkov finds himself on I lost your I lost your audio, Tony. I don't know why. <laughs> Can you guys hear me? I guess I'm hosting this thing right now. That was pretty hilarious. Tony going on a rant that nobody can hear. I love that. Somebody's asking if I think RHP might might be used as trade bait. I'm going to go ahead, Ryan, and say no. Uh, Like, what a perfect story this kid is. He's going to be great value no matter what happens. Hey, Tony, I'm hosting now. All oh, right, there, there we are. go. I'm back. Okay, so I, uh, you know what? I, uh, I, I saw a message saying, "Tony, we can't hear you." I, I think everyone can see me and hear me now, right? Yeah, we're good. You're okay, there. good. All right, I'm happy to. I'm happy for that. All right, so I was just saying, Eric, um, sports is a matter of opinion. You have yours, I have mine. Sometimes we're able to, uh, uh, we're able to, uh, to maybe change each other's minds. I think I'm not going to change your mind on this topic. I know you're not going to change mine. Uh, but there are other things that I want to talk to you about. Here's where I have an interesting opinion, okay? And I don't think we're going to be on the same page either, but that's okay. It's going to make for a pretty good show and a pretty good conversation. Josh Anderson, his name has come up often over the last little while, whether it's founded or not, his name's come up uh, with trade deadline a couple of weeks away. Obviously, he's not the ideal guy you want to trade because he has things that other players don't have. He's got a six foot three frame. He's got a 225 pound body. Uh, he delivers hits. He can defend himself. He can defend his teammates. He can make room for his teammates. Uh, it looks like he's been playing some of his best hockey in the last two or three weeks, the best hockey that he's probably played uh, since that great season of 47 points four years ago with the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's probably a better playoff player than he is a regular season player. And when he's on his game, he is a power forward. Now, because of that, a lot of people are going to say Josh Anderson is finally starting to get Marty St. Louis concepts. Josh Anderson starting to get comfortable. And because of all the reasons that I just talked about, the Canadians would be crazy to trade Josh Anderson. Do you agree with them? Do you, do you think that they would be crazy to trade Josh Anderson? I don't. Okay. And I'm not me, saying... Me neither. Okay, so I'm not saying that I would absolutely trade him. But I said this to my buddy Jean-Charles Lajoie earlier this evening on TVA Sport, which, by the way, you can watch it weeknights, Monday to Friday at 5 p.m., and I'm a regular Monday to Thursday at around 5.30 p.m. I said this. I said it's true that Anderson is playing very good hockey over the past several weeks. And it's true that he might be learning the concepts. And it's true that he might, you know what, 
finally have gotten it and be off to the races. I look at Josh Anderson and I see a player who's played in the National Hockey League for over eight years. And consistency has been a huge challenge. And when a player has been in the National Hockey League for eight years, they're supposed to have arrived. Who they are is usually who they are eight years in. And um, I look at hockey players as stocks. And I look at the trade market as the stock market. And when your asset is at a high and when your asset is at a low. And it takes a lot of courage to trade players whose asset is at a high. Like, for example, when Carey Price came off of those four individual awards, it would have taken a general manager with a heck of a lot of courage. And I know that hindsight is twenty twenty to have traded Carey Price. But I think years later, some are going to say they should have traded him then. They probably could have went out, got a number one centerman prospects. They could have got a heck of a lot for Carey. And people will probably make the same argument or the same debate for trading Brendan Gallagher instead of eventually end up giving him that contract. I look at Josh Anderson and I see a player who is inconsistent eight years in. I see a player who's playing well now, but his value, okay, it's good. It's it's getting better and better and it's going higher and higher. But at the end of the day, and I know points isn't everything, 47 points is his career high four years ago. He's on pace this year for 34 points. He has a contract of $5.5 million over the next four years. And if the Canadians are going to be a contender, a legitimate contender in three years from now, he'll be 32 when they are. And I don't think his value will be as high. And I don't think he'll be as good. Those are my arguments. I don't know if it makes sense or not. And if I would end up being right, it's just the way I see it. And so I'm not going to go out of my way to trade him, Eric. Yeah, But if there's an offer there that is interesting, considering uh-huh. what they got for Toffoli a year ago, if they can get something similar for Anderson, I'm trading him. Yes. So are the Canadians, but they're not going to get that offer at the trade deadline. It's not coming in. It hasn't come in yet, and it isn't going to come between now and March 3rd. Because of I'd the duration really, of the contract? or I'd be really surprised if it did. Because of the duration of the contract, because of the money on the contract, because of the system. You know, right now there is not a single general manager in the National Hockey League that's planning for the cap to move anywhere beyond $1 million. And a lot of them are tied up. Their money is tied up for the next, not just this season, for, for next season also. Beyond that, you worry a little bit less because things open up, spots opens up, money opens up. But it is still something that you have to worry about without a guarantee that the money moves. Now, Marty Walsh has come in as the NHLPA uh, director, Mm -hmm. and potentially he goes to Gary Bevan and says, Gary, we need to free up this system, free up some money. What can we give you in return for the owners to agree to the money being freed up to raise the cap by more than three million bucks this coming summer? Then it's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. Is that going to happen between now and March 3rd? No, No, it's not. No, it's and not. so long as that's the case, the Canadians may receive an offer or two on Josh Anderson, but will it be what they want to trade him for based on how he's upping his value? Probably not, and it's not going to be something that makes a whole lot of sense from the other side of it if the Canadians can't eat some of the money moving forward. And there's not an owner in the National Hockey League that wants to be paying millions of dollars to players who don't play for their team. Uh, They don't like doing it in buyouts, and they definitely don't like doing it to see players play for other teams. Mm -hmm. Um, 
we should contemplate that as Eric Carlson rumors are flying across the National Hockey League. Yeah. Um, you know, a year ago, can, everyone thought he was finished. A year later, he can get you everything. Yeah. Like, I think he's fantastic and he's worth trading for if you can convince the San Jose Sharks to eat $20 million of his salary. I mean, yeah. Good luck. Good luck with that. Yeah. On Josh Anderson. If you're a Canadians fan who wants to see his value maximized in yeah. a potential trade, what you hope is that he continues to up his value so that when the offseason comes, there are one or two or three teams that say, this is a guy that can really help us moving forward and that we make a plan around um, as, a, as a piece, as a part of our puzzle. Because between now and the trade deadline, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I would say it's 95 to 99% not going to happen that somebody will offer what would be required to move that player. Okay. On this, if, somebody call, if you call tomorrow, if you were yeah. whatever team and said, Hey, Kent, we have a, a 2023 first round pick mm -hmm. a player. You'll have to take back because you know, he's got a salary and we need some salary going the other way. And uh, we'll, we'll throw in a prospect into the deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ken Hughes is not hanging up the phone. He's negotiating and making that deal probably happen, even though mm -hmm. he likes Josh Anderson. But short of that, and I don't think anybody can really afford to do that, given the, the salary cap situation that I just talked about, given what mm -hmm. the value is of the actual player versus the idea of the player, um, I, I just don't see that happening until the offseason. On this note, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, it's years that I'm saying this. The National Hockey League has to make it easier for teams to trade players. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Hockey in the United States, it's not very strong. As a matter of fact, it's not strong at all. As a matter of fact, football is stronger. We know that. Basketball is stronger. Heck, Major League Baseball is, is at its biggest decline, and it's stronger. College sports are probably stronger in the United States than the National Hockey League. And if the MLS isn't stronger already than the National Hockey League, it will be in a couple of years. Take a look at what's happened in the NBA. Star players have been getting traded in the past couple of days, past couple of weeks. Star players, all right? Star players. Mm -hmm. They get traded like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, the NBA, which is such a marketable league and the way they market their stars, right? All of a sudden, social media starts going crazy, right? Kevin Durant got traded in Brooklyn and then he went to Phoenix and then he went. But how much has the money grown? How much has the money grown in those in that situation, right? Like the cap? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question to like ask. This problem you're talking about, it might be yeah. solved. I don't know if it will fully be solved, but it's going to be helped organically once we get past the players owing the owners money. Eric, they have to solve it. You want to know why? Because even though some fans are going to say, yeah, but it's nice for players to play with the same team for a long time. When you're a sport that's not number one in the U.S. and you're a sport that's not number two and you're not number three and you're probably not number four, every single thing that you can do in the United States of America, like you just, you have to do to get people talking, to start getting the analysts on some of those big networks and some of those big name analysts talking about it. And not only hockey analysts, right? We're talking about those who talk sports in particular. They got to start reinvigorating not only a fan base, 
but members of the media as well to talk about the net like I know this is going to be a probably it's a it's a totally other discussion, right? Yeah, but I mean, like maybe you're I'm arguing to abolish the cap. Like maybe, maybe I am. Maybe I am because I don't know how I want to get there yet. But I know I want to get there. Look, maybe I'm I'm going to talk about something now that totally doesn't make sense. But watching that Super Bowl yesterday, Eric, th- like the entire week. I couldn't wait for the Super Bowl and maybe because it's one game and the National Hockey League Stanley Cup final can never be that because we have a history and we know that it's a four or seven and this and that and whatever. But the entire week, everyone, all the members of the media, radio row, all the networks, all the TV, all the radio, all the podcasts, all this, all that, the whole sports world in North America and even beyond was NFL. Then leading up to the game, then what they do with fantasy football, then all the shows leading up until the final game, everyone's watching even for the, uh, the halftime show, the national hockey league. It's like Mickey mouse compared to the NFL. Like, but it's, you can't even put them in the same sentence, Eric. I don't know how you fix that, but you have to find ways to make this game better, more interesting and get the media reinvigorated, Eric. Yeah, I think all that's fair. I, I I don't know how you fix it either because you're you're comparing a sport that is deeply embedded in American culture uh, versus one that was adopted, you know, by American culture. Like, I hear you. Hockey is extremely popular in the United States in pockets of the United States where hockey has always kind of been a fixture, whether it's Minnesota or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Boston or Buffalo. Mm-hmm. The NHL expanded to marketplaces where it wasn't necessarily a fixture, and the 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 opportunity to grow. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. You could look at it as like they have a, so far to go to get there, but you could also look at it as opportunity. And I think there are a number of ways that you can innovate. Um, you're putting me on the spot. I can't come up with things off the top of my head uh, outside of saying the marketing thrust has to be a lot higher and has to focus a lot more on the personalities and encouraging personality within the game. Um, You know, PK Subban was here in Montreal. I think the fans certainly Mm -hmm. appreciated what he brought in that dynamic. Did hockey necessarily appreciate it? No. Um, And it's part of the reason why he's no longer in the game. And so, you know, the NHL, and the players and the teams and the culture has to evolve to a point where that becomes not only acceptable, but something that is encouraged and, and brings the game to a better place. As far as the system is concerned, there's a lot of people who would agree that a hard cap puts a damper on the type of money that can get thrown out in the big deals and the type of movement that you would see if money wasn't an issue and teams were able to spend as liberally as they want to, when they have it, you know, the type of players that can Mm -hmm. get them, over the hump and and win championships like i look at edmonton people will look at ken holland and say oh he's so conservative if Mm -hmm. ken holland had the money to spend right now and wasn't capped out you would be amazed at what he would do with that roster and what he would put around Connor mcdavid he would go for it because he's got the best player of hockey and he's going to do he's going to want to do whatever he can to win that player stanley cup right of course love to go we'd love to go for it right now yeah i mean he'd love to get the most impactful players you could possibly get and he's in a situation if you go look at edmonton's salary cap 
where he can't do anything without moving players off his roster. And the players yeah. he needs to move off his roster don't make enough of a dent that he can accept what's going to happen this year and just go into next year and blow that shot completely. Because if he brings in a big name, it means getting rid of like three, four, five players. Like I was looking at Edmonton's cap. Uh-huh. They, have, they have nine players at a million to five or less. Think about how difficult it is to have nine players on an Edmonton Oilers roster in a market like Edmonton making less than a million and a quarter where you'd have to convince people to come and play in that market in a frigid temperature for you know four months of the year, four months of the six that they would be there. And a city that is not reputed as like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Like, think about what a task that is to actually have filled his yeah. roster the way he did. Hey, like, Eric, Jean Maurice said bonsoir à vous deux in the chat. And Alfred Vega responded saying, sorry, Eric doesn't speak French. Well, Alfred, I have news for you because Eric and I are both collaborators on BPM Spa. Montreal's all sports French radio station. Uh, myself in the morning, Eric on the afternoon drive. Eric, Alfred, don't assume, Alfred, because you know what happens when you assume. Right, Alfred, don't assume. Eric parle français. Moi, je parle français. Eric speaks English. I speak English. Kind of. Io parlo italiano. Io hablo espanol. Un parlo e un parlo portuguese. How's that? Pretty good. Thank what are you, you drinking there? Uh, I'm just drinking water. Uh, I have my water here. Uh, I have my beer here. La Bitta TB. This is a 5%. I don't know if you've ever tried it. I'd like to get you a case if you haven't. And if you I have, I, I'll get you a case anyway. All right? I'd like to see you crack it open and chug it, honestly. Let's go right now. You know, so <laughs> I shouldn't. Okay. I shouldn't say this, okay? I shouldn't say this. Man, should I say this? I shouldn't you're say more, this. You're more of a vino guy. I know but you. I'm, I'm gonna, no, I'm going to say this. I like beer. Yeah. I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not something where I say, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to drink beer. In my entire life, I've never had a can of beer or a bottle of beer or a glass of beer in its entirety. Never. Yeah, no, you, you got to be careful. Your tolerance is very low. But, I mean, I will crack it open. Oof, good there sound. we go. And uh, I wish I could have poured it in a glass. I don't have a glass here, so I could actually show you and everyone watching what it looks like. There we go. Need the fan cam on there. Eric, can I tell you something? I'm sure it's delicious. Eric, it's excellent. I kind of want to see you crack two of them together and drink them like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Eric, like, I, I'm just I'm worried I would I would I would stain, them. My, uh, stain my beautiful uh, fluorescent pink. You might. That's part of the game. Uh, Eric, the game. I'm glad. It's really excellent. There we go. Who provided it? Um, the Geloso Beverage Group is one of our proud sponsors. And uh, and they provided us with uh, La Beta TV, which is made from a microbrewery. And uh, they uh, they distribute it. 
and uh, they sent it over and uh, they delivered a couple of cases, to be honest. And I had this one here and it's excellent. There you go. Very good. If you can get a guy who doesn't typically drink a full beer to say, very good. I love this beer. Yeah. And you're doing something right. No, no, it is. Uh, it is very, very good. Okay. Okay. You got uh, rapid fire for me or what? No, I, I some... just, yeah. And I, I want to say this. I want to say this. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about PK Subban before and yeah. personalities in hockey. And a lot of people didn't get it. And a lot of members of the media didn't get it. And I love PK Subban as a player, but you know, when he was playing for the Canadians and, and some people told me that, you know, he rubbed them the wrong way and stuff like that. I would listen to what they had to say. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I can understand that. And then um, a little bit later on, I changed the way I actually saw things a little bit, changed the way I actually viewed things a little bit because you know, Eric, you're trying to, um, even though you work for a, a huge network, I know that, you know, going on this podcast, going on, uh, you know, the, the radio show that you do, you are expanding your horizons as, as well, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And you are, you are, you know, you're working on your brand, all right? I expanded my horizons and I'm working on my brand. I have, so I have a greater appreciation now for what uh, PK was doing years ago. I understand it a lot more. I think what needs to happen is that we have to start accepting personalities a lot more in this game. I, I saw images a couple of days ago. Uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong. Was it Askarov who uh, stopped a, a, a shot in the shootout and then he was bench pressing the net or something? It was Askarov, I think, right? Was it not? Or? I didn't see it, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. Oh, you didn't see it. But I do need to correct you because you're saying we have to start accepting, but yeah. it's more that hockey itself needs to start encouraging. Yes. It's yeah. not about our acceptance. It's not about what Tony Marinaro says on this podcast. It's not about what Eric Engel says on Sportsnet. It's not about what this person or that person has to say about it. If we're talking about it, great. That helps, it, what, regardless of what the opinion is. But it's it's that hockey itself yep. has to embrace this and understand that you can still win yep. with so, players who do those things. Yes. So AHL game, shootout. Askarov makes a save. His team wins the game. Okay? Yeah. He lies down on the ice. He grabs the crossbar. He brings the net down. And he starts doing a bench press with the net. Right? Love it. You know, pumps it up about five times and then brings the net back up. One of his teammates helps him. He got crucified by many on social media showing up the opponent, lack of respect, don't like it, this, that. Eric, it was amazing, man. It was like one of the coolest things I ever I'm saw. I'm going to go I, check I, it out, right? <laughs> right I thought, it, I thought it was funny. I loved it. Like the National Hockey League, the game is not good enough to deprive itself of cool stuff. It's not good enough. And here's something that probably doesn't make sense, but I'm going to say it anyway. For this game to be better, I actually think there has to be less games. It's also an opinion that I've had for the longest time. You know, for the longest time, I've had several opinions. This game needs more characters. This game needs more traits. This game needs, you know, shouldn't have these long eight-year deals and, and some of these guaranteed contracts. I know agents would disagree with me vehemently. Um I find there's too many games, and um, I find the season's too long. I find it ends too late. 
by having too many games, I think it also affects the product. And I think there should be three points for a win. There's a lot. I don't of have things, an issue, but I, I believe you with 82 games. I would love to scrap four from each team from the preseason. I would like to move the schedule up. I would like for the players to report back for training camp earlier. I would like for the playoffs to end a month earlier. Good. And I would like for the schedule, if you're going to keep it at 82 games, to appease the revenue that comes in. And I really believe this that you could space out the schedule a little bit more within what you're doing to to the, to the exit training camp is three and a half weeks. Yep. It doesn't need to be longer than 10 days. It really doesn't. Nobody wants it to be longer than 10 days. There's not a single person in the game that wants it to be longer than 10 days outside of the guys who collect the money. And I'm a big believer that, the one feasibility study that you can't necessarily do is that if you increase the quality of the games that are played, you will make up the revenue you lose at the gate by losing four preseason games. Like you will make up that revenue and potentially do better by offering a better product and by handing out the Stanley cup in May instead of in June. uh, And by having people more engaged in the race from bottom to top. I also think more teams should make the playoffs in a 32 team league than what it was when it was a 24 team league. I also believe that we should listen to the players when a lot of them believe it should be a one through eight type of format. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We should listen to the players who say extend three on three overtime to 10 minutes and scrap the shootout um, because the games will end within those 10 minutes guaranteed. And yes, it might run a little bit longer than your standard mm-hmm. one, but not necessarily longer than it would if it went to a shootout. Listen to the players. Listen to the people who are really involved in it. I- mm-hmm. I'm done with the argument from I tried to get it at the Board of Governors meeting, and I was asking Gary Bettman, like, what yeah. about from a revenue perspective, adding more teams to the playoffs? It's logical. If more fan bases are engaged in the playoff race from here to the end, you are naturally going to make more money. This I'll take it not, a step further, by the way. With the 16 teams that are there, and I know Crosby wants to see one versus eight, I'd rather see one versus 16. If your regular season is going to mean I wouldn't. I honestly really, really, I honestly really wouldn't. And and Because there's going to be less upsets, correct? Yeah, and... and I got it. I, let's, I, that's let's fair. The one thing that hockey does have is a claim that is undisputable is that the first round of their playoffs smokes everything else in sports the first round of the stanley cup playoffs is unrivaled it is the greatest thing and i think the opportunity for an eight seed to knock off a one seed or a seven to knock off a two is so much more ripe in the nba it doesn't happen it like never happens. It's so rare that that happens that an eight seed knocks off a one seed. Like it's the the best teams, the cream rises to the top in the NBA. Mm-hmm. In baseball, upsets are quite rare. Um, you bet the pitcher and you win most of the time. Like in hockey, though, if you go to one to sixteen, you're you're screwing with a dynamic that I think is makes true makes the NHL playoffs really special. Um. Yeah, no, okay, so all fair points. Uh, I have another opinion, which is not a popular one, but I'm going to say it anyway. I talked about too many games. I, I know I, I really liked what you had to say, by the way. Remove uh, remove some uh, preseason games. Start the season earlier, end the season before. I think the fact that the Stanley Cup comes out in the middle of June when we're all going for ice cream or taking long walks outside, I think is pretty crazy. And have a plan. Have a plan. Have a two- to three-game plan. I, 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 I don't... 
I don't mind if you have a plan, but here's an unpopular opinion. I'll give it anyway. I still continue to say I think there's too many games. I think it affects the product. And if I think if you knock off two games per month, even three, and you're going to say you lost revenue, I don't mind seeing the entire jersey being a billboard for advertising to make up that revenue if it means that you knock sure. off games and I think the product's going to be better. I don't mind. I'm like, I don't care that a jersey I doesn't think there's look more like more creative ways. I think there's more creative ways to generate revenue. I don't have them on hand, but if you yeah. put together a proper think tank, you can find more creative ways. But one of the best ways, quite frankly, you wouldn't have to fill your jersey like a billboard if you wanted to knock off a few games per season, go from an 82-game schedule to perhaps 75 um, and a lower, a shorter preseason. Like it's, it's not mm-hmm. that complicated. Just put four more teams in the playoffs. Engage four more fan bases from here to the end of the season. Yeah, and not just four more. You're engaging everybody who has a chance to get into those four games. You know what I mean? Like into yep. those four spots. You're encouraging all the teams that are on the bubble those four spots and saying, "Yeah, oh, like they'd be engaged one way or the other." That oh, our team might actually make the playoffs, and when you do. You could see an upset in the first round and they could advance into the playoffs through the play-in and whatever it is. Or they might be saying to themselves, damn, they're screwing their lottery chances by getting into something and you're not going to go far enough into the playoffs. And it creates a whole debate. It creates people talking. It creates interest. That's what you're looking for. Interest. Because interest generates money. Last thing um, uh, for tonight. So appreciate your time. Arbor Jack Eye. We know that he doesn't refuse an invitation. But we all had a feeling at one point, I think as much as a lot of people liked seeing him fight because he was exciting to watch fight. Um, just doesn't have to do it all the time. And he's a pretty good hockey player. And, you know, you see him get injured yesterday in his fight and you wonder like, why did he have to do that at that certain time? Like there was, I don't, I don't wonder. Cause I don't really care. I mean, he's going to do it. That's a part of his DNA as a player. Mm-hmm. And you want to say that, oh, you know, he could have chosen a better time. Kane cross-checked Josh Anderson in front of the net. A skirmish happens. DeHarnay grabs him, and they start fighting. What's he going to do? Say, I'm not going to fight? He's not turning anybody down who starts throwing punches at him or, or is challenging him with his hands around his jersey or whatever it is. And look, like, Arbor Jack guy, I don't think he was at 100% before he took that fight, okay? Like, He's a guy that is a really tough guy and is going to have to play through some things as we go along. And he's yep. been in quite a few tussles already this season. And yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think it was whatever happened to him yesterday was probably a function of something happening earlier this season. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I think you can pick and choose, but at the end of the day, this is a guy who is going to drop the gloves from time to time, and like it can happen at any point that he gets hurt. It's just part of who he is and what he represents as a player. And I'll tell you something, his teammates appreciate what he is, who he is as a player. And yeah. they're not sitting there saying, Oh, he shouldn't have taken that fight while, while we were winning. Like there will come times where it. It, it matters and he'll have yep. to time his stuff a little better. But in that particular situation where something breaks out, you know, it's not like, he was lined up at a face-off, looked at the RNA and said, okay, let's go. Well, the yeah. Canadians are I hear you. Nothing. I hear you, yeah. He didn't instigate the the uh, the fight. You're right. Eric, a lot of opinions tonight on this podcast. A lot of them, uh, I thought it was great, 
great hap stock. I loved it. Thanks, man. Have a great night. Take care, Tony. All right. And I'm sure a lot of people watching appreciate it as well. And if you're watching on YouTube uh, or on uh, YouTube Live or on Facebook Live or on Twitter Live, and by the way, if you're not watching on YouTube, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. I talked to you about that TV before, by the way. Uh, they sell them in grocery stores in Montreal because a couple of people have been asking ever since I took a couple of sips. And it is really, believe me when I tell you that, it's very good. And uh, I know they're, you know, I, I know the people that uh, give it to us, sponsor us. But if it wasn't good, I just wouldn't say anything. Uh, if I'm going to tell you it's good, it's because it's good. That's just the way I am. All right. A um, couple more things I want to talk about. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, to Playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments, Playground casino games, daily promotions, unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. If you're liking our podcast, uh, hit the like button, message sick, S-I-C-K, share it with your friends. Uh, and if you're going to be listening to it on uh, Spotify or whatever, you know, give it a five-star review. That's our way of feeling the love or on Apple Podcasts. We really, really appreciate it. Okay. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl yesterday was absolutely amazing. The Philadelphia Eagles were one-and-a-half-point favorites versus the Kansas City Chiefs. The game was played in Arizona. It was Jalen Hurts at quarterback for the Eagles. It was Pat Mahomes at quarterback for the Chiefs. The Eagle, They both went in with identical records, but a lot of people thought that this would be the year for the Eagles. They were a little bit of a healthier team. And when you take a look at, um, you know, taking a look at the strengths and weaknesses and taking a look at the matchups, I think a lot of people thought that the Eagles had um, the edge, probably in more categories than the, than the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's so uh, let's go with the quarterback. Well, it was the Chiefs who had the uh, edge with Patrick Mahomes over Jalen Hurts going into the game because, of course, Patrick Mahomes had already won a Super Bowl and had won a Super Bowl MVP before the game was played and had gone to another Super Bowl, and he had experience, and this was his third Super Bowl uh, in the last five years. Um, I think you take a look at um, the um, running backs, and, um, I, you know, you take a look at the running backs by committee and uh, as good as Pacheco is for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, I think if you take a look at it by committee with um, with Sanders and and uh, and um, Gainwell, uh, I think you would say that maybe the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles had the um, had the edge there. When you take a look at the um, the um, the wide receiver position. Uh, I, I think you take a look at the wide receiver position, and I think you say that uh, the Eagles had probably the best duo in the league. Uh, I think you take a look at the offensive line, advantage Eagles. You take a look at the defensive line, advantage Eagles. You take a look at tight end, advantage Chiefs. You take a look at special teams, advantage Chiefs. You take a look at coaching, advantage Chiefs. But uh, very, very tight, and that's why the uh, you know the spread was one and a half in favor of the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles, when you see the way they played that first half, they you know they look like the better team. They obviously could have won that game, uh, but in the end, in the second half, boy oh boy, was Pat Mahomes was unbelievable. He went thirteen of fourteen in the second half. Uh, he only had about one hundred and eighty yards for what it was his game, but he had three touchdowns and he didn't throw any interceptions. He never turned over the ball. And think about it. He had the ball for 24 minutes 
and he put up 31 points against the Philadelphia Eagles. I repeat, Pat Mahomes had the ball for 24 minutes, and he put up 31 points versus the Philadelphia Eagles. He was incredibly clutch. Having said that, um, Hertz was unbelievable yesterday. He ran for three touchdowns himself. He had a two-point convert. He did everything he can do. Unfortunately for him, there was a fumble, which was a big difference maker in that football game. Uh, he made one mistake, which is too bad because I've never seen him play better. And by all means, he's not to blame for this because I think he was the best player in the game, even though he didn't win the MVP. But unfortunately, he made a mistake. Pat Mahomes didn't. That's what experience is all about. Andy Reid made some serious adjustments as well with the uh, with the uh, halftime show going on and a little bit more time. You know, he made some serious adjustments where he said, you know what? The Eagles have had the ball most of the first half. We have to stop that. They were trailing. You would have thought they would have passed the ball, but they weren't having a lot of success with it. So they started to run different routes. They started to run the ball. They started to gain possession of the ball. They started to control the clock a lot better. And Dan Orlovsky, who has become one of my favorite analysts, not only in football, but in all of sport, showed what they were doing on a couple of motion plays that they had. Basically, what they were doing is they were running motions and screens, and they were looking to see what the Eagles would do. And once they figured out what the Eagles would do, they would adjust and run different patterns after, and then they would end up tricking the Eagles. They did it on a couple of occasions. It's unbelievable coaching by Andy Reid. And I said going into the game that I thought the Eagles were the better team, but the better team doesn't always win. And what the Chiefs had, which the Eagles don't have, was Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Andy Reid. And I think in the end, um, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, especially those two, they were the differences in the football game. And that's why Kansas City won. And, you know, you could say that it wasn't a penalty down the stretch in the last minute there on the defense. And I'll agree with you that it shouldn't have been called at that time. Uh, I just get the feeling that the Chiefs would have kicked that field goal. I get the feeling that the Eagles would not have come back, but it's hypothetical. We'll never know. I had this debate with a friend of mine today, and he said, well, did you see the previous drive, the way the Eagles were able to get downfield in a couple of plays? And he goes, they would have got downfield again, and their kicker would have ended up at least uh, at least tying the game. And maybe he's right, but it's too bad that we're talking about officiating because we saw an incredible, incredible Super Bowl. And Pat Mahomes, I mean, already, I don't know where he is in the history of quarterbacks because we've seen a lot of good ones. And, and of course, we've seen Tom Brady and we've seen Joe Montana and we've seen Elway and we've seen Rodgers and we've seen several. But Pat Mahomes has two Super Bowl wins He's got two Super Bowl MVPs. He's dynamic. He's just a different breed. He's incredibly clutch. And the guy doesn't need the ball a lot to win football games. Remember that game versus the Buffalo Bills a couple of years ago? He had 13 seconds left on the clock. And he was able to lead his team downfield and they won the game. It was unbelievable. Marinero, once again, Agnello and Sammy, if we can bring up uh, the brochure for the um, Undertaker, the one 
Dead Man Show. The One Dead Man Show this Thursday at the Olympia Theater in Montreal at 7.30. Tickets are available, but we have a couple of pairs that we're going to give away to a lucky winner. How do you do it? Follow us at The Sick Podcasts on Twitter and like it and retweet it. And you, you've entered the contest. You can um, like it here and uh, tag some of your friends on YouTube. You can like it on YouTube. Uh, pardon me, like it on Facebook. And you could tag several of your friends. Tomorrow, we're going to bring the contest over to Instagram as well. And on Wednesday night, when we're back, the contest will end Wednesday night at 10 p.m., will announce the two winners who will win a pair of tickets each to The Undertaker's One Dead Man show. We'll announce them on Wednesday night. Until then, I'm Marinaro. The Sick Podcast goes Monday to Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Tomorrow night, same time, same place, right after the Canadians and the Hawks. Minutes later, starting at 10 p.m., I'll be back. The Sick Podcast. Who am I? <laughs> I'm Marinaro. Good night. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. LaVita.tv. Embrace your true nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.